Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. So Acts chapter 2 verse 40, with many other words, he meaning the apostle Peter, the one who had been given the keys to the kingdom, the one who had the revelation of the mighty God in Christ, He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles'. Now all who believed were together. They had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Can you say amen? Amen. From this passage, I offer this message for your consideration today. Prophetic patterns in the New Testament church. Prophetic patterns in the New Testament church. And everybody's going to help me preach by saying amen at least one time. Maybe seated. And so most of you got your amen already out there. Our theme this year at the Life Church is building a New Testament church. And we have a pattern to do that. We're not just winging it. We're not just, well, we're just going to let the Spirit lead. You know, we believe in the leading of the Spirit. But we, we have a book called the Bible that's forever settled. And this is our blueprint. This is our go-to pattern. In the scripture. And in particularly, we read from a key book in the Bible today, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. The church described in the text that we just considered looks like a church that I would like to be a part of. This church appears to be healthy, balanced, functional, alive, progressive growing, and a faithful local church. Do you agree with that? See, let me tell you how this works. I say something that's amazing from the word of God. And if you agree, you say amen. And if you don't agree, just deal with it in a a kind Christian way. In this short text, we can identify many features that I would think any 21st century Christian would expect and want in their local church. Let me just rehearse them. We already read them, but there was preaching. There was a glad response to the preaching. Right. There there was obedience to the preaching of the gospel Demonstrated by many baptisms. In fact, 3,000. 
3,000 baptisms. They gladly heard Peter's message when he said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How many are glad that message is in the Bible today? It's there plain in black and white. It's right there. They gladly heard it. They were baptized. The Bible said they continued steadfastly in four things. Everybody say doctrine, say fellowship, say communion, say prayer. Those are four really good things. In fact, you can't, I don't know what you are, but you're not a church if you don't have doctrine, if you don't have fellowship, if you don't honor the Lord's Supper, and remember his soon return and remember his shed blood and sacrifice and certainly prayers. Then the Bible said fear, or I would sort of not call this a terrifying fear, but this was a godly fear. This was a respectful, reverential fear. Whenever there's an awesomeness of God in the house, something is going to happen. Whenever we are in awe of God, there will be miracles. There will be a manifestation of the presence of God. Don't ever lose your awe. Is there anybody in awe of God today? Do you fear him? We're in awe of him. He's an awesome God. He's an amazing God. Amen. Then there were miracles and apostles were present. How many believe there's apostles in the 21st century church? Can I have a better amen? amen? Say, well, I've never seen one. <laughs> I believe in modern day apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Do you know how you know if there's an apostle in the room? There will be miracles. If there's an apostle in the room, there will be manifestations of the presence and the power and the miraculous power of God. That's how you will know it. Paul said the signs of an apostle are notable miracles and wonders. Praise God. They had unity. They were continuing daily in connect groups. Did you know connect groups are apostolic? Biblical? It's our model. Well, we call them connect groups. They just met from house to house. We go from Starbucks to Starbucks and McDonald's to McDonald's. And sometimes we meet in houses. Yeah. But the important thing is we gather together in small groups for sharing, for fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. fellowship. Let me tell you something. Fellowship is not ham sandwiches after church. The fellowship hall. That room will never be called the fellowship hall. If I hear anybody call it the fellowship hall, God have mercy on your soul. I'm just kidding. It is the event center. You can raise more money for an event center than you can a fellowship hall. Do you understand that? And thank you for your giving. Giving's over. But you know what? Last month, another $10,000 came in to finishing strong. It's just amazing. It's just remarkable. It's just remarkable. So we thank God. But they had fellowship. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. It means 
we sit down like brothers and sisters and you share with me what God's saying to you. And I share with you what God's saying to me. And if we can come together, you know, if somebody is out here saying, you know, something weird and strange and nobody else, God's not telling anybody else that, then we might want to pray about that some more. Because James said in the book of Acts chapter 15, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost. Everybody say us. You know what? Jesus and you don't have your own thing going. You don't have nothing going unless you're part of the church, unless you're part of the body of Christ. Come on. Amen. God doesn't have any, you know, uh, isolated children over here and over here. We are the body of Christ. The Bible says that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is in you all and through you all and is a part of us all. And there's one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Don't tell me you're serious about doing something for God. If you're not a part of fellowship, if you're not a part of a local church, if you don't have a pastor and you don't have a, a team perhaps of elders that watch for your soul. They had unity. They had fellowship. The Bible said they had corporate gatherings. They had house to house and they had gatherings in the temple and they praised God and they impacted the community and they had favor. Does your church have favor with the community? And the church was growing through authentic conversions. Is that a church that sounds good to you? Does that sound good to you? Amen. This first century church, this book of Acts church, or if I could call it Acts for short, is said to be the centerpiece of the entire Bible. All of the other books in scripture either anticipate the activity in the book of Acts or they utilize its record as a measure for acceptable practices. It should be and could be argued that the book of Acts is perhaps the most important of the 66 books in the entire canon. Let me put it to you this way. If the Bible only had one of the 66 books, which one would you choose to have possession of? I would have to choose the book of Acts because everything in the Old Testament is leading up to the book of Acts. You know, don't, don't take a running start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and leapfrog right over Acts and jump into the epistles. Don't do that. You're missing the birth of the church. It's where the church was born. It's where it was set up. It's, it's the original. How many likes the original? My wife and I like to go to the original pancake house. We don't want to go to IHOP. We don't want to go to IHOP. That's not the original. We want to go to the original. Do I have a witness in this house? The original pancake house and get the apple pancake. Everything else takes second place. And I've been to the original, original pancake house right there in Portland, Oregon. Except I don't know if I'd want to go back there right now or not. Might be a lot of tents and stuff all around it. Not sure. Portland has a lot of challenges. But if I could only choose one book, I think I would have to choose Acts because that's the book that really teaches me how to get saved. And that's the most important thing in my life is obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important than obeying the gospel and knowing like 
The Philippian jailer said, what must I do? That is the greatest question any one of us could ask. The book of Acts teaches us how to be purposeful with our life, how to get on the mission, how to please God. And what is he wanting his church to do in this world? And there are passages and features in the book of Acts that explain to us how to live for God. So I would have to say, I don't know what book you would choose, but I'm choosing the book of Acts. If I had to pick one, the good news is we don't have to pick one. We have the whole Bible. Amen. We have the whole canon of scripture. I would think that if you were a 21st century Christian and you actually read your Bible, that you would have certain expectations about how the church you attended does church business. Millions of Christians sitting in worship facilities all across our nation today are content with enjoying far less than what the first church offered, what they experienced. Either because they're blinded, the Bible says if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Perhaps they were uninformed, or perhaps being held under the sway of religious traditions. Let me tell you something. The spirit of religion is a powerful spirit. It is a powerful spirit. I told you last Sunday, it's the spirit that crucified Jesus. And when you, let me tell you how you read the Bible. When you read the Bible, don't bring a prejudice to the text. When you read the Bible, don't bring church history to the text. When you read the Bible, don't bring your denomination to the text. Don't put on the lens of some preconceived, stereotypical, something that's been codified in church history that has nothing to do with the Bible. That's what denominations are good for. They draw circles and say, this is all the further we're going. I don't care what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. I don't care what Paul wrote about. I don't care what Jesus, you know, whoa, Jesus. <laughs> I don't care what Jesus, you know, said. You know, we're going to believe Martin Luther more. We're going to believe Zwingli more. We're going to believe Charles Finney more. We're going to believe Wigglesworth more. We're going to believe, you know, one of the other reformers more than we're going to take the word of God for it. Listen. Don't bring a prejudice to the text. When you're reading the Bible, just believe what it says. Just take it for face value. And if it was in the first church, why couldn't it be in the last church? If it was in the first century church, why can't it be in the 21st century church? I don't believe that Jesus is coming back for any less of a church or a different kind or a different model or a different brand. He's coming back for a church just like the church he left Amen. When he started it on the day of Pentecost. Everybody okay? Part of our problem is only 11% of Americans actually read the Bible every day. 29% never read it. But if you read your Bible, and if you understand the historic record of the birth of the church, as it is clearly and plainly recorded for us in the Acts of the Apostles, then I would think that you would expect the church that you attend to be like that church. Everybody understand that? When we talk about the first century church, admittedly, we are talking about a church that existed 2,000 years ago in a completely different context and culture. 
But despite the disparities of millenniums and lack of an identical culture and context, I would think that an informed Christian would have certain expectations that the church of their choice should compare favorably to what we can clearly understand was present in the first century. We know that those first Christians did not have a dedicated campus like we do today. We know that perhaps they didn't have a gathering space like this. They probably didn't have a band or a praise team, ushers, greeters, kids ministry. They didn't have VSM. There was probably no student ministry in the first church. They probably didn't have giant screens. <laughs> but sometimes I wonder if their disadvantages compared to our advantages have become our disadvantages. For example, a dedicated house of worship and a campus is wonderful. But not if we think that by building a facility and hanging our shingle on it, that we are reaching the world and that we are on the mission. The real ministry doesn't really happen on this 83-acre campus and 50,000 square feet of dedicated training and educational facility. The real ministry happens when we drive off this campus. The real church, come on. It's not that we're not the church in here, but the real church should be doing who the church is and what the church is, not just when we're here, but 24-7, 365. We are the church wherever we go. Come on, people can get the, receive the Holy Ghost in your living room. They can receive the Holy Spirit at their kitchen tables. Do you know what? You can baptize them right there, or I'm gonna tell you something, you can baptize them in a hot tub. You can baptize them in a bathtub, as long as it's according to the Bible. It has to be by immersion. It has to be in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Let me tell you something, miracles can happen beyond the walls of this church. Jesus said, believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I wanna know, is this church that church? Is this church that church? Do we have what they had? Can we be what they were? Praise God, praise God. So there are some unknown variables that leave us wondering if we parallel that first century church. But there are some things, hear me now, that by comparison, there should be absolutely no difference or variation. I haven't come to pick a fight with anybody today. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That first church understood who Jesus was. They did not understand him Listen carefully. They did not understand him to be one of three persons in a community of God. That is not biblical. That's historic. The Trinity doctrine is a after biblical development that took hundreds and hundreds of years. 
And if you know church history, you know that the poor Holy Spirit was left out for a thousand years before it got codified in the doctrine of the Trinity. If I was the Holy Spirit, I'd be ticked off about that. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is not a person of God. It's not an, a, a consciousness of, you know, one third of God or one part of God. The, the, the word Trinity is not even in the Bible. It had to be coined. It had to be invented. It had to, to in fact, there were 800 terms that were invented by the apologists of the second century to try to explain something that's not even biblical. All you need to know about who Jesus is, is the moment when Thomas said, I will not believe until I touch him. I will not believe until I see him. And when Jesus comes in the room, Thomas falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. Amen. When he says, my Lord, it's the same word, Lord, that we preached last week. When, when Saul on the road to Damascus said, who are you, Lord? That's capital L-O-R-D. That's kudios. There can only be one king of kings and only one Lord of lords. He will not share. This is one person. This is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Thomas said, Jesus, you are that one God. You are that one Lord. I'm preaching to you today that Jesus is not in the Godhead, but the Godhead is in Jesus Christ. For in him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And when you worship Jesus, you're not worshiping one in a plurality, but you're worshiping the King. You're worshiping the one God. Are there any Jesus worshipers in the house today? We can understand that. You may be seated. We can preach the exact same message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And I've already quoted it to you. Repent. Everybody say repent. He said, be baptized. That's Acts 2.38. Can you put it up there? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is the message. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. This is so simple and easy to see. Repent. He didn't say, repeat after me. He didn't say, pray this prayer and you'll be saved. He said, repent. Do we have the Bible today? Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, take my word for it, it's in there, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the message he preached. That's the message the Life Church preached. We're checking the boxes today. Come on. We're checking the boxes. They had spiritual and miraculous manifestations. Miracles, wonders, signs. More about that in a minute. We can go on the mission of the Great Commission like they did to go make disciples. Are you making disciples? If you're not making disciples, you might be a 21st century Christian, but you're not a disciple. Unless you have a disciple. Everybody all right? We can pray like they prayed. We know how they prayed. But most of Christianity doesn't 
have congregational prayers like they prayed. More about that in a minute. We can believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ as they did. When's the last time? In fact, I stand condemned today. I don't know how long it's been since I preached about the imminent return of Jesus. But he is coming back. And it could be today. He's coming for the church. And it could be today. And I want to be ready. Turn to somebody and say, I want to be ready. So if that first church had it, I want it. If that first church did it, I can do it. If that first church was it, then I can be it. That first church was all about Jesus. Any Christian church that doesn't make what they do all about Jesus is a fraud. Jesus is the visionary of the church. He is the founder of the church. He's the author of the church. He's the finisher of the church. He's the purchaser of the church. He's the high priest of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the pastor of the church. He is the bishop. He's the bishop of the church. If it's not about Jesus, it's not about anything. It's got to be about Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 9, follow me. Be like me. Walk like me. Have my attitude. Paul said, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If it's not like Jesus, then it's not the church. It may be a meeting of religious people, but if it doesn't have the attitude of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus, it's not the church. John 12, 14, 12, rather, Jesus said, the things that I'm doing, you're going to do, and greater things than these shall you do. So in Matthew 9, 9, Jesus said, be like me. In John 14, 12, Jesus said, do what I do. Are you following Jesus? Has anybody ever said, you know, when I'm around you, I feel Jesus. Whenever I'm talking to you, I feel like I want to get closer to God. Has anybody ever said that about you? If not, you might want to get a little closer to Jesus. It should happen at least one time in your life. There should be a manifestation of Jesus. There should be a burning in somebody's heart that Jesus is with you. Whatever an authentic Christian church is, it is going to be like Jesus. Come on. It is going to feel like Jesus. That church is going to act like Jesus. That church is going to look like Jesus. That church is going to talk like Jesus. That church is going to handle people like Jesus handled people. That church is going to lead like Jesus led. That church is going to treat other people like Jesus treated people. That church is going to do what Jesus did. Let me make it real plain. If that is, if it's a true first century authentic follower of Jesus Christ church, it is not going to manipulate people. The church is not going to control people. That church is not going to intimidate people. That church is not going to make ridiculous and arbitrary demands of people. Jesus never said, I am the chief of police. He never said, I'm the chief of police. What did he say? I'm the good shepherd. He never said, well, I'm a rancher from Texas and I'm a cattle driver. One time Charles Mahaney was, they said he was in the Holy Land. He'd been there 22 times. 
the bus was going by a shepherd with sheep and he noticed the shepherd was, was throwing the sheep and kicking the sheep and went and picked up one little lamb that was straying. He, he went over and he just threw it back in the fold and he was cursing them. And Mahaney said, stop the bus. They stopped the bus. He went out there. He talked to the shepherd. I guess Brother Mahaney at least said he could speak Hebrew. I don't know if he could or not. And so he said, you know, I've been to Israel 22 times and I've never seen a shepherd treat the sheep like you do. He's, the guy said, what do you mean? He said, well, you've been throwing them. You've been cussing them. You kicked them. He said, well, I'm not the shepherd. He said, what are you? He said, I'm the butcher. <laughs> Come on. I don't own anybody. I don't control anybody. I don't run anybody's life. Don't come to me and ask me what color of toilet paper you need to buy when you go to the grocery store this week. Now, if you need money, you can come and see me and I'll try to help you best I can. I don't want to, I don't, don't come and talk to me about you're ready to buy a car. Like I just heard about a family that moved to another church and they bought a new car and, and the pastor said, am I to understand you bought a car? He, they said, yes, sir. He said, well, we don't do business like that around here. You come and talk to the pastor before you, you buy a car. Listen, Jesus doesn't know anything about that. Come on. He wasn't a control freak. He wasn't a manipulator. He was not a micromanager. Come on. I know it because I study Jesus and I read about Jesus and I pray to Jesus. Listen, was Jesus God? Yes. You may be seated. Did he know that Judas was a thief? Did he know that before he gave him the bag? Yes, he knew that. I know pastors, I'd never do that. Jesus gives Judas, who's a thief, the bag. You know what his leadership style is? Judas, you've got a problem. You've got an issue. You've got to conquer. You've got a demon. You've got to get over. And I'm going to make you face it. I'm going to make you deal with it. He could have went and ripped that bag out of his hand. He could have controlled him and said, you know what? You're not spiritual enough for that. I'm taking this away from you. Listen, I know some churches that have taken so many things away from people. I'm surprised they got a stitch of clothes left in their wardrobe. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you need that kind of a church, you're never going to make it here. I'd been in the church here six months. A lady came up to me and she said, I need you to preach harder. I said, what do you mean? She said, I need you to step on my toes. I said, oh, you're one of those. You probably need me to clean your plow. She said, yes, that's what I'm talking about. I said, you probably need me to eat your lunch. She said, yes. Step on my toes, knock me upside of the head. You know what she's telling me? I don't know how to walk with God for myself. I don't have a relationship with God. I'm out there. I'm a nut job. I'm out there walking around doing whatever I want to do. I need you to come in and be my moral conscience. I need you to tell me when to stand up, when to sit down, when to pray, when to read my Bible, because I suck my thumb like a baby all week long. If that's your attitude, you're never going to make it at the life church. But if you want to grow up into him who is the head, if you want to learn how to walk with God, if you want to learn how to open your own Bible, 
If you want to learn how to have a prayer life, if you want to get focused on Jesus, you're going to do really good at the Life Church. I'm not a police officer. I don't walk around with a ruler and a whistle. I'm not in the business of putting anybody in jail. I want to be like Jesus who said, I'm the great shepherd. It's like, all right, let's go. Here's the way we're going. Here's the way we're living. Here's the way we're walking. Everybody that wants to go, come along. Let's go be what Jesus wants us to be. Does it work? Yeah, it works. I've raised four adults. My wife and I have raised four adults that could have chosen any path they wanted. They chose the good path. Followers of Jesus Christ. Everybody okay? So what was normative in the first century church? I think there's seven things. The veneration of Jesus as God. The baptismal mode was always by immersion, never sprinkling, because baptism is a type of burial. If you were sprinkled on the authority of the word of God, please be baptized according to the biblical pattern. Baptismal formula, so mode and formula. Listen. Listen to me carefully. I challenge any Bible student to show me one place in the Bible where anybody was ever baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not there. But five times I will show you where people were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus or the name of Jesus Christ or in the name of the Lord. Amen. If you believe that, would you say, I believe that. Amen. Baptism, the fourth dynamic is the early church believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking with other tongues. You will not find an unbaptized or unfilled believer in the first century church. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Listen, get over this thing. I'm saying this to the Life Church people. I'm not preaching at anybody today. I'm just preaching the book, okay? I'm just preaching the book. You do with it whatever you, whatever, whatever you want to do. I told you I'm not here to pick a fight with anybody. My job is to preach my understanding and my revelation of the word of God. Amen. But in that first century church, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they knew it because they spoke with other tongues. On the day of Pentecost, you know, the gifts of the Spirit were not in operation on the day of Pentecost. That came later. On the day of Pentecost, you know, there wasn't, there was 120. There wasn't 10 of them prophesying and 10 of them, you know, speaking in tongues and 10 of them interpreting tongues and, and 10 of them operating the gift of faith and 10 of them operating in word of knowledge and 10 of them, you know, had gift of miracles. That's not what was going on. They were being baptized in the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the word doron. That's the gift of great sacrifice. Come on, read your Bible. And I want to tell you that when the Holy Spirit comes in the 21st century and it's going to come today and it's going to come next Sunday, it's going to come the way it did just like it did in the first century. Are there anybody that still believes 2,000 years later that if you want the gift of the Holy Spirit, that God is quick and anxious to give it? Yeah. 
Number five, they had the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit operated here last Sunday. I don't know if they're going to operate today or not. That's up to the Holy Spirit and to us yielding to the Lord. But there was a message in tongues. There was an interpretation. Don't say, well, that's weird. No, it's not weird. It's first century church. Oh, man, I got to get to my sermon. Number six, the manifestations of miracles, wonder signs. Number seven, the ministry of the saints. If your church does not worship Jesus as the one true and living God, then you may be in a church, but you are not in a parallel apostolic first century church. If your church does not baptize by immersion, you better get out of there and go find somebody that will immerse you. If they do not baptize in the name of Jesus Christ, you better get out of there and you better go find a church that will do it. Come on. Listen, if they don't believe, if they stack up their baptisms once a year, that is not a first century parallel church. They're, if someone's stacking up baptisms for a whole year, they're telling me that baptism is not important, that baptism does absolutely nothing, and that is not book of Acts, that is not biblical. The Philippian jailer, it was at midnight. He said, can I get baptized tonight? The Ethiopian eunuch was out in a desert. There was no audience. He said, can I be baptized in this water right here? Amen. Peter commanded Cornelius to be baptized in the name of the Lord. He didn't say, wait till Memorial Day weekend, and we're going to stack up about 25 or 30. 30. No, baptism must happen the moment you realize you need your sins washed away. Am I in the book? I'm in the book. If I bought a McDonald's franchise, I've always wanted to. I never eat there, but I'd like to own one. That would be sort of hypocritical, wouldn't it? If I could buy a McDonald's, I would have to agree to all of the requirements and stipulations of franchise owners. But what if I didn't want golden arches? By God, I want blue arches. What if I didn't want my employees to wear uniforms? Just come as you are. What if I didn't want straight stringy fries and I wanted waffle fries? And I wanted to serve pizza and tacos and sushi. I don't eat that either. It might be fast food. It might be good, but it's not McDonald's. I don't want to be in a almost first century church. I don't want to be in a wannabe first century church. I don't want to be in a pretender first century church. In 2014, the largest church in America was robbed of $600,000 cash. But that was not the biggest church robbery in history. The biggest church robbery in history happened in the fourth century. The greatest church theft in all of human history was the theft of the true, original, authentic first century church. In the fourth century, a thief stole the baptismal model of immersion, changed it to sprinkling. In the fourth century, a thief stole the baptismal formula in the name of Jesus Christ and changed it to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They want to take the name away. There's no authority in a title. 
only, the authority is only in the name of Jesus Christ. In the fourth century, a thief stole monotheism by the influence of Greek philosophy and changed the Godhead into a plurality of gods. But the biblical writers in the New Testament knew nothing of a trinity. Their lens was the Old Testament, which is strictly monotheistic. And don't tell me the Bible writers of the New Testament were ignorant and stupid and didn't know what they were talking about. And some philosopher 400 years later knew better who Jesus was than the men that walked with him and laid down their lives for him. The fourth century historic church stole the doctrine and the dynamics of the authentic first century church. But I have good news. We went back and took what the devil stole. Come on, we went back. Come on, Brother Harvey, we're still preaching it. We went back and got it. Hallelujah. The enemy stole it. I know, I know, I know that we're in the minority. I know that we're not as big as the historic church advocates are. But I'm telling you, God is raising up a remnant and revelation is coming. And God is going to pour out his spirit on every denomination. And the revelation of Jesus Christ is coming to every hungry, sincere, open heart. I got a text from a pastor that calls me his pastor. He's in Virginia. He said, pastor, pray for our service. There's 46 people that are coming from Chicago in a rented a Greyhound bus. They're coming to our church because their pastor's wife was here two months ago and she didn't know that you could be filled with a baptism of the Holy Ghost and she liked what she felt in our church. They are in that church in Virginia today. Amen. And God is going to pour out the baptism of the Holy Ghost on that people. Ho, ho. I am so wired. There are 2 billion Christians worldwide. 45,000 denominations. How do denominations get started? Much the same way they did in the first century. You say, oh, did, was there branches off the true church? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The apostles, they wrote about it. They had their split offs. Paul talked about false teachers, false apostles, false brethren, false doctrine. If Paul called them false, could we say that anything that's not like the church that Paul was a part of is a false, a fake, a fraud, a counterfeit? I'm not naming any names today. How did other non-authentic religious groups get started in the first century? Same way they get started today. Deception, doctrines of devils, Strong delusion from God. You say, oh, does God start false churches? No. He doesn't start false, he doesn't start false churches. But Paul said to the, second, to the Thessalonians, he said, because they received not the love of the truth, God sent them strong delusion that they could believe a lie. One of my friends, in, former friends in the ministry said, Stan, I got a revelation from God. I said, yes, you did. And that's why your re revelation of false doctrine feels just like true revelation because they both come from God. This is why we have to love the truth. 
This is why Jude 3 says, contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. I got a message for all the members of this church here today. You better contend for the faith. You better love the faith. It's not just in the hands of the ministry on the platform, but you better love it. And if your pastor doesn't preach it, you better hold him accountable to it. And if a Sunday school preaches any other teacher, preaches any other doctrine, you better hold them accountable. Contend earnestly for the faith. There is only one faith and it's delivered one time and you've got to love it. Does everybody feel a good spirit from me today? Do I have a good spirit? If I don't have a good spirit, I'm going to have to go home and repent. Praise God. Everybody all right? Oh, I'm, 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 this is my first closing. I'm tired of people saying things that we do are weird. It's not weird. It's right out of the Bible. Praying in concert. Well, that's so weird at Life Church. They all pray at the same time. Well, you know, if you have 500 people, God can't hear 500 people pray at one time. Oh. Really? Well, what if there's 500 churches and only the pastor of 500 churches is all praying at the same time? This isn't rocket surgery. We can figure this out. Acts 4.24, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. That's not something new. That's not weird. That's in the book of Acts. That's the first century church. Oh, that felt really good right there. What about dramatic preaching? Like me. Acts 2.14, Peter stopped. Peter stepped forward with the other 11 and shouted. Now he's up there. This is that which is spoken. This is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. It'll come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out of my, pour out of my spirit. Drink a little cup of coffee here. No, he's shouting. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Come on, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I don't want to sit in a church where the preacher doesn't even believe what he's talking about. I want somebody that's got passion. I want somebody that's sold out. I want somebody that believes, that's ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. They're ready to go bear hunting with a stick. I want somebody that believes in what they're talking about. That's not dumb. It's not stupid. Dramatic preaching. Paul used gestures. Look it up. Acts 13, 16. Everybody all right? Gifts of the Spirit operate. It's not weird when we're in a service and somebody speaks out in tongues. It's not weird. It's book of Acts. It's first century. Demonstrative worship. Paul said, I would that all men lift up holy hands. Apparently, Paul sang in tongues. I've never done that. But it'd be cool. It'd be all right. If somebody wanted to sing in tongues today, that doesn't mean we're flaky. It doesn't mean we're stupid. It means we're in the book. You want scripture for that? 
1 Corinthians 14, 15. He said, I'll sing in the spirit and I'll sing with my own understanding. I could talk about the way we do music and all of that. So, I'm second closing. If somebody, if you're in a church and somebody says, we're going to pray to Mary. I'm sorry, I'm out of there. If someone says, we're going to baptize this baby today. I'm sorry, I'm out. It might be cute. It's not first century church. If somebody says, now we're going to pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, the life church believes in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't believe that they're three persons of God. We believe that they're manifestations of that one God. If somebody gets up and says, well, the day of miracles are over. No miracles happening here today. I'm out of there. All of these things happen in churches that call themselves Christians. All right. Here's my last closing. How many churches in Kansas City today will there be a visible, manifested move of the Spirit? Every time Jesus went to church, something happened. Something's going to happen today. In the 21st century church, in the wider evangelical world, the Holy Spirit is an afterthought. You don't think so? In how many churches today will there be miracles or a testimony of a miracle? In how many churches in Kansas City today will somebody be filled with the Holy Spirit speaking with tongues? In how many churches in Kansas City today will there be manifestations of the moving of the Spirit of God? Francis Chan, a popular writer, wrote a book entitled Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. He illustrates how some faith traditions give little or no thought or attention to the work of the Holy Spirit, not us. We've been doing it since 1955 when Winfred Black, amen, came to this city and started this church. Amen. That does not sound like a book of Acts church to me. In the book of Acts, the spirit is on every page. There's miracles, wonders, signs. People are being filled with the Holy Ghost. We cannot forget the working of the Holy Spirit. The Bible has a lot to say about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. Listen, there are prophetic parallels. The two most prolific personalities in the book of Acts are Peter and Paul. They were not apart in their doctrine. They were united. They were both used by God to heal a man born lame. They both had believers receive the Holy Spirit when they laid hands on them. They both had unusual miracles. It was Peter's shadow and Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons. Am I in the book? They both confronted a sorcerer. They both, were, they both raised the dead. They both experienced a jailbreak. They both laid their lives down for Jesus. There shouldn't be any difference between what me and the Pope believes and preaches today. But there is. There's a big difference. Oh, I went and named somebody. I'm sorry. I didn't really mean to do that. I should have said the, the head of the largest. Pro <laughs> I 
But I, I, I didn't come to bash anybody today. I just come to preach what I'm for. Prophetic parallels. I, I wanna, yeah, I'm really closing, but listen. Did any? I could name denominations right now. Did anybody get a heads up that COVID-19 was coming? Come on. Did, did anybody get one? I, I wish I could name. Just let me preach here for a minute. Thank you. I appreciate all the amens. I appreciate we're an we're a, we're a active participant congregation at the Life Church. Amen. Praise God. Listen. I don't know. I can't speak for any denomination. But I know the United Pentecostal Church got a heads up. Before COVID was ever a word. Before it was ever thought of. Our leader of the World Network of Prayer, Flo Shaw, she was praying one morning the first week of November and the Lord spoke to her and said, something's coming out of China and it's going to shake the world. Pay attention to the news. And then she had a vision of the molecular structure of the COVID-19 and she wrote it down and dated it. That's, that's, that's prophetic. That's not pathetic. That's prophetic. Huh? Did anybody, I wish I could name a denominator. Did they get a heads up? Did they get a heads up? Did they get a heads up? I'm not saying, I'm not really advocating for denominations. I'm advocating for this. But we got a heads up. Prophetic parallels. Before God ever came down and destroyed the earth by water, he had to come and talk to his friend Noah about it. And before he ever destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he came down and talked to his friend Abraham about it. And I was going to have a big problem with God if COVID is going to shake the world. And he didn't tell a prophet or a prophetess. But I'm glad to tell you, somebody we know, Flo Shaw, had a word from God. And she put it on social media. And she said, here's what's coming. I'm talking about prophetic parallels. Would you stand with me? So, I'm sharing a testimony by permission. I have a picture of a couple I want to show. I want to show you this couple. This is Robert Fazalor, and I, I didn't meet his wife. I don't know what her name is. But I was just with them two weeks ago in West Virginia. Back in January, I heard about this man, who's the district secretary, and the district superintendent, his name is Greg Hurley. They were walking in downtown Charleston, West Virginia, and they were hit by a Toyota SUV going 40 miles an hour. They could have both been killed. And in the service where I was at on a Friday night, they were both dealing with after effects. I spoke with um, Robert Fazalor. Does he look like a credible person? Here's his story, and I quote, as Greg Hurley and I were walking down the street in downtown Charleston, West Virginia, a Toyota SUV traveling, I'm sorry, I said 40, it was 35 miles an hour hit us. My right arm just below the elbow was hit on the spot of the vehicle where the logo of Toyota is, and the logo ended up on the ground. That's how powerful the impact was. He said, swelling in my elbow lasted eight weeks and I lost all strength in my right arm. Routine activities like holding a cup of coffee, brushing my teeth, or shaving were impossible. 
I had 10 weeks of therapy, but still couldn't pick up my briefcase or put on a necktie. An MRI revealed strained ligaments and torn muscles. Surgery was next, but the doctor said we'd have to wait six months for the swelling to go down. I had to buy bigger shirts that would fit over my swollen elbow. I could not fully extend my arm. My arm had been falling asleep 20 to 30 times a day because of nerve damage, making it difficult to sleep. My wife is a physical therapist. She told me that after five months of therapy, I would most likely stay at that mark of recovery. My doctor told me that I should not attempt to play golf or lift anything for a year. So on Friday night, I'm in this service with them. And the place is packed and spirit moves. And I just began to weep in the presence and I felt such compassion. I knew what they had been through. I went and prayed for Brother Hurley and then Brother Fazalor was just six feet away and I put one hand on his back and one hand on his chest. Here's what he said when Pastor Gleason prayed for me. I felt virtue like electricity go through my arm and immediately I heard a pop and I felt the muscle reconnect and strength came back in my arm. My arm fully extended immediately. My arm hasn't fallen asleep since that moment that God touched me. It feels normal. I can lift items like my briefcase or a weed eater. Since that day I played baseball with my kids. No pain no strain, no soreness. Listen, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Jesus did that. He, when I was standing there, he said, look, pastor, I didn't even know what was going on. He said, look at this. I can extend my arm. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Listen, it may not be a big deal to you, but when it's your arm, it's a big deal. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. That's a first century church miracle right there. A verifiable, documented miracle. And there are miracles in this house today. And God is going to do miracles and wonders and signs in this place. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.